Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast. And in this one, what a weekend for Houston pro and college football. We'll break down a shocking Texans opener in our postgame show. And we discuss maybe the best thing to happen to UH football in over 30 years. Before I fire things up, though, we're excited to tell you that this show is brought to you by BetUS.com, America's favorite sports book. We've revved up the NFL this week, which means the betting season really gets fun. Not only is BetUS.com the place to bet on the NFL or any sport, but in just a few minutes, we've got an exclusive discount for you. It's a way to save money, support our show, and maybe make a little money over the next few months. More on that pretty soon, but as always, I'm joined by my co-host and regular sidekick, a fellow H-Town sports junkie and veteran journalist, Stephen Kerr. And Stephen, who needs Deshaun Watson? (laughs) Yeah, who needs Deshaun Watson when the Texans score the most points in an opening day game in their history? Imagine that, 37 points. That that is the most the Texans have scored in an opener in their 20-year history. And they did it with Tyrod Taylor, not Deshaun Watson. They, they did it with Brandon Cooks and Nico Collins, not DeAndre Hopkins and Andre Johnson. Uh, yeah, it just goes to show, Robert, any given Sunday, any given Sunday, right? Deshaun was terrible early in games. The Texans were terrible early in games under Bill O'Brien. Did it get any better last year when Romeo took over? I, I don't recall it getting that much better early in games. Well, not really. I mean, the fact that you had Deshaun, you know, that they won any games at all, really, if, if they hadn't had Deshaun, uh, they probably wouldn't have. So, yeah, it, it really wasn't much better. But, uh, man, it, it just goes to show that you can't go by what you see in the preseason, <laughs> at least from the Texans' offensive standpoint. Now, you know, aside from a couple of hiccups, the defense played well, just like it did in the preseason. But who would have thought that the Texans' offense would come out The first possession, it kind of looked like, oh, boy, it's going to be that same offense we've been talking about for the last two weeks. But then all of a sudden they get it together. And even in the second half when they weren't really firing on all cylinders, hey, at least they didn't blow the lead. I'll tell you this, Robert. At at halftime, I said to myself, you and I are going to have one of two things to talk about in this podcast, the postgame podcast. Either we're going to be really excited because the Texans won or we're going to be really pissed because they blew another lead like they did in Kansas City playoff game and some of the others. Whitney Merciless had a sack. That's how incredible this game was. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you knew things were definitely uh, going in the right direction or unexpected when Whitney gets a sack. It's toward the end of the game, but nonetheless, he did. And, you know, I think that's the only sack that the Texans got. They they got one early in the game, Robert, but the Jags had called timeout. So they did get a lot of pressure on Lawrence, but, you know, they, they kept him on the run. And, of course, the defense had three picks. So all in all, a very good day for the Texans, really, on all fronts. We got to talk about Tyrod Taylor because he was the guy that replaced Deshaun, and he looked like him at times, 21 for 33, 291 yards, two touchdowns, zero interceptions, 112 passer rating. And, Stephen, I looked at it before the game. Deshaun's last game at NRG Stadium against the Texans, this is a few years back, I believe it was with the Buffalo Bills. He had three touchdowns, no interceptions. So over the last two games at NRG Stadium, five touchdowns, zero interceptions for Tyrod Taylor. Hey, he loves this place. 
He loves this place, and if you're the Texans, you'll take it. You just wish, you know, they could play all their games at home if, if it's going to keep that up. You know, as I mentioned in that first series, you know, he almost got picked off when he was trying to throw to Cooks, and then he threw a ball too high to Nico Collins. But, man, after that, he took off. And I tell you what, what really impressed me, Robert, is when he was under the gun, he was able to switch gears, you know, even ran a little bit, and he he really was cool under fire, so to speak. You know, that, that was as much impressive to me as the fact that he didn't make any serious mistakes. And, and, you know, he completed some pretty nice passes to Cooks and to, to Collins and, you know, some of these other guys. Well, what was it that I said, Robert? I, I want to say that I said it on this podcast that the Texans don't really have any wide receivers. Did, did I say that? You might want to go through the archives and prove me wrong because at least during this one game, they had some guys come through. Yeah, and we're going to get to those guys, and let's start off with the first drive that they got a score. The first drive you mentioned was a three and out. He almost gets picked off, but then there was the 14-play, 84-yard drive, tone setter right off the bat. Mark Ingram finishes it with a one-yard touchdown, but that drive was about Brandon Cooks, an incredible catch inside the five-yard line, and frankly, Stephen, that's the kind of catch the catches that we used to see from DeAndre Hopkins, five catches, 132 yards for Brandon Cooks on the game. Yeah, it's very hard to argue with what Brandon Cooks did today. Um, again, it's one game, and I know it, you know it's like the preseason. You can't get too excited after one game. Hey, the Jags won their first game last year against Indy, and you know what happened to them. But we got to take them where we can get them, and Brandon Cooks was a major reason why. So uh, you know the the fact he, he's definitely the Texans' leading receiver. I, I think we I think we knew that coming in. But I know you're going to talk about some of the other guys, including the newest Texans receiver that they got. So, yeah, just kind of an amazing contribution by a number of these guys. Yeah, we're going to get to that guy. I know who you're talking about a little bit later in the drive or later in the game. But the next drive, Tyrod Taylor, seven-yard touchdown. This is a five-play, 55-yard drive. He throws it to David Johnson. Remember him? Yeah, that's the guy that they got in the DeAndre Hopkins trade. But the play of that drive was a big 25-yard catch and run by Pharaoh Brown. And Pharaoh Brown, got to get into Pharaoh Brown because this is a great story, Stephen. Remember, the Texans have drafted four tight ends in the last three years, but it's undrafted free agent Pharaoh Brown, who is the starting tight end, making the splash plays in the opener. Yeah, that's right. And you know what? Throughout camp, Robert, I kept hearing... About how great this Farrell Brown is. Farrell Brown, oh, he's looking great in camp. Oh, he's making some incredible catches. Oh, he's blocking so great. And I'm thinking, who is this guy? You know, they haven't even played a preseason game yet. And the coaches were just raving about him. And, you know, he didn't exactly light up the preseason. But he blocked well. He caught some good passes. So, yeah, Farrell Brown, you got to hand it to him. He looked good today. Brevin Jordan was inactive and it gave him the chance to play. And, man, did he come through. The next drive, eight-play, 54-yard drive. Joey Sly, the new kicker, Kaimi Fairbairn, on the injured list. So Sly with a 40-yard field goal. Joey Sly did his job. Three field goals. He was perfect, three for three. Hit all of his extra points. 17-7 uh, at that point for the Texans. Then there was a punt near midfield. But after that, another field goal from Joey Sly. 25-yard field goal. Nico Collins with an offensive pass interference cost the Texans a chance after Vernon Hargraves had an interception, and we're going to get to the defense down the road here, but that makes it 20-7. to Then there was a four-play, 69-yard drive in 29 seconds. 
Taylor to Danny Amendola from the Woodlands High School, the veteran. Everybody made fun of it, including me, you know, another New England Patriots <laughs> signing. Uh, huge contract, bigger contract than you would think. I think it's 1.5 guaranteed, but it's 2.5 on paper. It was somewhere in that neighborhood. But Tyrod in this drive, Stephen, he makes the Deshaun looking scramble and then the throw to Brandon Cooks. That play was so reminiscent. I mean, that was pure, unequivocal Deshaun Watson. Yeah, I, I'm almost wondering, you know, what happened? Did they like put Deshaun's body into Taylor's body? I, I kept asking myself, am I even watching this Texans? Is this is this the Texans game I'm watching? Did CBS put on a different game? Because I just couldn't believe some of the moves that Taylor was making. And you talk about Amandola, you know, obviously his best years were with the Patriots. He's had some injuries over the years, but he made some great plays today too. And, you know, he hadn't even been with the Texans a week and still trying to learn their system. But man, some great throws and just some incredible catches by Taylor. It just, it, it's amazing how reminiscent of Deshaun that we're seeing. But of course, we're not going to see Deshaun. So big play, you know, right before halftime. I mean, that was a backbreaker, I think, for the Jags. But if you go to the second half, Texans punted midfield on the first drive, nine play, 68 yard drive, that second drive. And it was Philip Lindsay, five yard touchdown run. Although we got to talk again about Farrell Brown with a big catch, great throw by Tyrod Taylor over the defensive secondary. And he hits Farrell Brown, who just makes this beautiful catch nearly one-handed and and that set up the touchdown to make it 34 to 7. Yeah, I have to say that that was definitely the clincher there. I mean, there was still a lot of time left, but you know, when you have so some of those brilliant plays made against the defense like that, it it can definitely take the wind out of your sails and you could just tell, you know, you had a rookie quarterback in there trying to bring a team back from that big of a deficit, you know, the way the Texans defense was playing, you know, they they didn't as we said have some hiccups and we'll get to that, but yeah, that that when it when it became thirty four to seven, Robert. Yeah, I started thinking, well, you know, maybe this won't be Kansas City after all, even with so many unknowns about this Texans team. Okay, so let's get to the defense because the last four drives there was a couple of three and outs. There was a field goal by Joey Slag on a good drive, and then there was a, a punt near midfield. I mean, it was just you know they were basically trying to run the clock a lot in those last few drives. But if you go to the Texans defense, it was a three and out to start off with. Then you got a little concerned because there was a four-play, 38-yard drive, missed 55-yard field goal, and the defense that drive, it was not the best. There was two drop passes by the Jags wide receivers that helped them out. The third drive, 11-play, 75 yards, Trevor Lawrence, 22-yard touchdown. You know what? This is one where Malik Collins, we got to get into him because two roughing the passer penalties, extended drives, one of them on this drive, third and long, Malik Collins is going to hear an earful from David Culley after this game. Oh, you know that because, yeah, both of those penalties that he had resulted in both Jacksonville scores. So you you have to give credit, I think, for the Texans defense as a whole, by the way they play through the whole game. You know, those were really the two hiccups that led, you know, to them giving up those two touchdowns. But, yeah, Malik Collins, I mean, he looked great in the preseason, and he made some good plays today, but he really did. You know, definitely those two penalties – uh, that that's going to basically overshadow everything else, even though the Texans did win handily. All right. Now the defense starts to really go and Justin Reed interception, terrible throw by Trevor Lawrence, Vernon Hargraves interception on the next drive, then a three and out. That's basically how they ended the 
first half, second half, another three and out, and then another three and out. And at that point, that that pretty much put the Texans in control. There was a four-play 75-yard drive. Again, Malik Collins with the big roughing the passer penalty. I mean, those are the two big touchdown drives was Malik Collins roughing the passer penalties because the rest of the time, defense looked pretty good. Christian Kirksey came up with an interception towards the end of the game. Bad throw again by Trevor Lawrence. And we said it before this game, Stephen. We made the point. This is a rookie quarterback playing his first game on the road. So, you know, you might want to think about not betting against the Texans in a situation like that. Yeah, the history was indeed on the Texans' side. It's just there were so many unknowns with the Texans, you weren't really sure where you wanted to lean. But yeah, getting back to Vernon Hargraves, you know, before he made that interception, he'd gotten shaken up a few plays before that. And he came back in and then made that play. So, you know, not only heads up, but just a gutsy type of player that Hargraves is. And the defense as a whole, I mean, they they gave a lot of pressure to Lawrence. I mean, they, they had him on the run quite a bit. He made some bad throws. He did have some drops by his receivers, so that didn't help. But the Texas defense, even if they didn't have a lot of sacks, they, they did get a pretty good amount of pressure on Lawrence and uh, forced him basically to throw on the run all day. And, and just, you know, he obviously caved in. But I still think, you know, as time develops and he matures, I, I think he will be a good quarterback. But it was his first game. Thankfully, the Texans took advantage of all that. Meaningless junk time touchdown for them at the end of the game. So it was really 37 to 14. It's 37 to 21 is going to be the final but, I mean, it's just a dominating performance on the rushing side on offense, and we haven't really touched upon that. Mark Ingram, the most carries by far, 26 carries, 85 yards. Between Philip Lindsay and David Johnson, there was 11 carries with those two guys. Uh, not, not a great yards per carry with Mark Ing- Ingram, Stephen, but what I thought that Mark Ingram brought was just tough yards. He got the most out of what was there, this offensive line, is still a work in progress. I mean, we we know that Marcus Cannon came back and played in this game after not playing the entire preseason. Charlie Heck had gone out with COVID. I don't even know if he would have been the starter, but Cannon, you figured, was going to be the guy eventually, the veteran coming over from the Patriots. So he steps in, although he was switched in and out at right tackle. Uh, you had Laramie Tunsil that had to deal with COVID. Uh, so you you don't know how his conditioning was. You don't know how his strength was coming off of that. So the offensive line, a work in progress, but they were solid. I mean, it wasn't a great performance by the offensive line because Tyrod Taylor did have to scramble a few times, but the offensive line, I thought, was was fair. And, and this defense, Jacksonville's defense is not good. Right. No, I, I think it was good considering all of what you just said, Robert. And here's what I like about Ingram is, yeah, he didn't get like tons of yardage, but as you said, he gets the most out of what you give him. And, you know, he's the type of back that, he's going to ride you. It's hard to bring him down. He's not big, but you would think he is because he just keeps moving and moving and moving. I mean, you just basically have to wrestle him to the ground. So, you know, there were several carries where he had more yards than most any other back probably would have, but it's only because he just kept riding it and riding it. And I think, you know, on that first possession that the Texans scored when it was seven to nothing, you know, that that is the type of offense that you want to see on a consistent basis. 14 plays, 84 yards, Good mixture of run and pass. So, you know, that that really set the tone, I think, for what the Texans did for the rest of the day. And Trevor Lawrence, you know, he showed his potential on the other side of the ball, and you saw glimpses of what he could be. But at the same time, you know, it's those type of mistakes that are just your 
classic rookie mistakes that he made in this game. Although, you know, give the Texans defense credit because we've seen him with the turnovers all throughout the preseason. And the amazing thing, Stephen, the stat of the game is three interceptions for the Texans. That equals the amount of interceptions they had all of last year, all 16 games. Yeah, well, and they only had nine turnovers, I think, all of last year, and they did a third of that in the first game. And that is something, as we've said before, this is what Levy Smith has been telling these guys. Punch the ball out, you know, go for the big plays, make those turnovers, be in the right place at the right time. What an amazing difference, Robert. I'm telling you, if the Texans play that kind of defense, you know, no matter how many games they win or lose, they're going to be in most games if they can keep making plays like that because that's what turns a game around. And and that can sometimes in a close game, it can make the difference. You know, today, obviously one of the big reasons the Texans won, I know, you know, in one interception, they didn't capitalize. And then on the other, they, they had a field goal, but they did capitalize when they had to. So keep making plays like that. And we may be uh, talking more positives about the Texans than the negatives. Of course, I, th- I think the Cleveland game is, is going to be a totally different game. It is going to be the Browns. So we will just have to wait and see. But man, you just you got to savor this first one for sure. I want to go back to Danny Amendola for just a second because five catches for 34 yards, same amount of catches that Brandon Cooks had. And here's what I think is relevant, Stephen. The Texans throughout their entire history, they have never found a slot wide receiver that they can count on. They have looked, they drafted Kiki QT. We thought he might be the guy. There were other guys that you saw maybe a game here or there, but no consistency from anybody. Maybe Amendola brings that. And, you know, I don't know what the Texans do this year. I I think this is an outlier game, but at least they're going to be interesting. And at least they're going to be professional with cooks and Amendola out there. Yeah. I, I think what you get with Amendola is experience. And that experience can go a long way in a position where the Texans, as you said, have just, they just haven't had it. QT didn't get the job done. He was inconsistent. He fumbled. You know, he was on O'Brien's doghouse. You know, just it just did not work out. And they've tried to experiment even before that and after that, you know, with Kenny Stills and some of the other guys. But, yeah, Amendola, I, I was really excited about the signing. I, I don't think you're going to, you know, see spectacular things from him, like a lot but just providing that experience and giving you a steady hand in that slot position, man, if you can get that and then build on that for the future, maybe the Texans can draft a guy down the road. You know, they can take that slot and, and give you a lot of good years with it. But yeah, the, the Amendola signing, I, I really do like it. Since you and I last spoke, Bradley Roby traded to the Saints for a third round pick and a conditional late round pick the Texans ate a lot of his salary I assume to get more value from him you wonder why they extended him a couple of years like I guess it's now three years was the extension or two years past the 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 year this year which he would have been signed for right and they could have just let him walk at the end of this year and gotten a conditional third but this will get him a much higher third round pick than the conditional pick and then they've got that potential I don't know if it's a fifth round pick or sixth round pick I don't know what the conditions are on that with the Saints but what did you think of that move you know it really didn't surprise me too much I mean of course Roby wasn't wouldn't have played in today's game if he'd still been with the Texans or with anybody he won't play for the Saints either obviously because he's still serving that PED suspension but I, I mean Roby yeah he was a starter but he wasn't exactly consistent he had some injury issues he had that disciplinary issue last year so the fact that, you know, the Texans are definitely 
You know they're in rebuilding mode when they're going to trade one of their starting cornerbacks. But the fact that they got a higher third-round pick and then that additional late-round pick, you know, I, I guess you, you could say they came out ahead. But, yeah, it really didn't surprise me, maybe as much as it did some people. Our friends over at BetUS.com had the Texans as three-and-a-half-point underdog by game time. Steven and I said, yeah, I don't know if I really like betting against the Texans with Trevor Lawrence. The over-under, 45-and-a-half, it was a point lower than that. When you and I last talked, Stephen, how did we do on that over-under again? What happened? <laughs> yeah, we would have lost a lot of money, Robert. That's all I can say. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that was uh, uh, quite a bit the over. The Texans offense, where did that come from? And hey, if you're betting on the NFL this season, you got to do it with BetUS.com because you might as well find a sportsbook with integrity and longevity like BetUS. It's not just football. It'll take action on just about any sport. They're a pioneer in the sportsbook industry for almost three decades with a diehard customer fan base. Their mobile platform is easy, full betting options on there. Log in to BetUS.com or call 800-792-3887. That's 800-79-BETUS. And here's how we can save you some money when you do it. When you sign up, use our promo code HST125 on that original sign-up and you'll redeem a 125% sign-up bonus on your $100 deposit. Again, that code is HST125, as in Houston Sports Talk, 125, meaning you get 125% of your 100% uh, on your $100. And to help our podcast, sign up using either the BetUS link on our pinned post at the top of the Twitter page or go to our website, HoustonSportsTalk.net, and click on the BetUS icon. Follow my lead and get your phone online and social betting partner with integrity and longevity like I did. Bet US. You bet. You win. You get paid. Well, according to ESPN, the Texans have been asking for a package of six players and draft picks from teams interested in trading for Deshaun. That could be three draft picks and three players or four draft picks and two players or any such combination from what ESPN is saying, but according to John McClain, Houston Chronicle, the Texans are asking for three first-round picks and two second-round picks. Do you have a preference, Stephen, on any of these combinations? <laughs> uh, as long as they're all high picks, Robert, I'll take it. And and really, that's I, I think that's what we've been hearing for quite some time. And of course, now everything is so up in the air. Uh, but I think it, you know, once this Deshaun thing is resolved. I just I don't feel that the Texans should settle for any less than that, certainly. Was there any other thought on the game itself? Because you and I, were going to do a, another show later this week, and we might get more into the next game. But anything else that we missed on today's game? Getting back to Joey Sly, one of the reasons the Texans got him, I think, too, is that he definitely can get the touchbacks. And the, the Jags didn't return a single kickoff during the game. I mean, he was booming them. Now, his obviously, he made all his extra points and field goals. I think outside the 50, he's a little suspect. But, of course, you, you didn't find out that today. His longest, I think, was 40 yards. But, man, you can't say enough about what Joey Sly did because at least for the next three games, Fairbairn's going to be out because he's on injured reserve. So he has to miss at least three games. So, you know, if, if we can keep that up, especially, you know, the big test will come when he gets in a close game like toward the end and he needs to kick a winning field goal or maybe a long one from, you know, 50, 55 yards out. But, yeah, you know, the special teams played well, and Sly was a big part of that. We knew it. We knew the special teams were going to play well because Casario, that's the one thing you say could say about him is he 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 does a good job putting that together. And 
you know, they did everything that you wanted them to do today, except maybe a big return. That, that's the only thing that didn't happen. Yeah, Robertson uh, or Roberts, Andre Roberts, he definitely he had some returns, but nothing really spectacular, I think that you would say. And that, again, is the one thing that the Texans have been missing from their game is a huge return game. You know, you keep trying this guy and trying that guy, you know, Robertson and a couple of the others. So we'll just have to see how that plays out. But at least, you know, it, it was not a bad effort by the special teams overall. All right, let's move over to college football and with the Houston Cougars pretty much handling Rice easily Saturday, you would think, well, that's that's our big story. That's the major story in college football from the Houston area. But on Friday, we got incredible news, both for Cougs fans everywhere, and I think for the city of Houston, too, because not only did U of H officially accept an invite to the Big 12, but this means we actually have a Power 5 college team in the city of Houston, meaning you can go to the stadium and see the some of the best teams in college football coming there instead of, you know, whatever that they were bringing in the last few years. And Stephen, we, we can't just imagine the football schedule, which is jumping up another level, but what about a basketball schedule where UH plays Baylor, Kansas, Texas Tech, Oklahoma State, and West Virginia? And I'll throw out some info that our friends on the Scott Holman podcast threw out there which will perk your ears up. Number one, 10 of the 12 teams in the conference, this new Big 12, have gone to at least two of the last four NCAA tournaments. So the depth is incredible. Number two, according to the Ken Palm Power Rankings, the new Big 12, Stephen, the new Big 12 is the second most powerful conference in the last eight seasons. Well, honestly, Robert, that's what I'm excited about is the basketball aspect and not the football aspect. Yes, obviously, it, it's going to enhance the Cougar football program. You certainly have a better you know, position when you're talking about recruiting, although you know, it's pretty tough out there with all the other Big 12 schools and then you know, with Texas and OU going to the SEC. But my real excitement, quite honestly, at this point in time, now that could change you know, in a couple of years when they get in the conference. Who knows what will happen with that? But it's the basketball that I'm really you know, putting my hat in the ring for and, and excited to watch. Yeah, Houston and Kansas, think about that. Houston and Baylor, a rematch, you know. Well, they probably they may play each other again between now and then. But, yeah, the basketball, I think, is what's really getting me excited, Robert. But, you know, from an overall standpoint, it, apparently it got a little dicey that the Big 12 almost overlooked Houston again this time around, you know, because from what I've been hearing, it took Tillman Fertitta flexing his salesman muscles, you know, his restaurateur owner and owner of the Rockets, you know, be the Mr. Businessman, to make some phone calls and say, hey, guys, what are y'all thinking? Let's get this done. And they did get it done, but it, it apparently there was some drama, you know, even this time around, not just back in 2016. And for all the sniping by Rockets fans on Twitter about Tillman, it's been a hell of a year for Tillman, considering, you know, he's coming off the COVID stuff, which killed a lot of his businesses, but... To lose James Harden and and lose that moneymaker, but still manage to, you know, get this Rockets team, which I think he's got him going in the right direction. I mean, we believe it with the, the moves that they've made over the last year and getting all these exciting young players in. But, you know, he was the guy that was the, the, the face and the man behind getting Kelvin Sampson to Houston, which just resulted in a Final Four appearance for the first time since 1984. And now you throw that on top of this. I mean, 
a year ago, it looked terrible for Tillman. But I mean, this last year, what a turnaround for his, for his fortune. Well, you know what, Robert, just as, as in business, just like in sports, you know, all it takes is one big sale and all of a sudden you're a hero again. And let me tell you, Tillman Fertitta is a hero at the University of Houston and anybody associated with the school, whether it be directly with, you know, the administration, the players, the coaches, the fans, Tillman Fertitta is the man if you're, if you're a U of H fan or supporter or worker, because he got that deal done. And, and, you know, in 2016, obviously it didn't happen. And the fact that it almost didn't happen again. I mean, what are these guys thinking? I, I just, I mean, as excited as I am that they are in the big 12, Robert, that goes without saying, but I just, can't get past questioning the leadership of the Big 12 and how they've handled certain things. You know, the whole Texas-Oklahoma thing may not have been entirely on them, but I have to think that some of it is. And then just the way they have handled and treated Houston and some of these other teams over the last few years when they thought about expansion, pulled it back. Then they were going to accept, you know, Central Florida and Cincinnati and BYU. But Houston, uh, I don't know. So, yeah, I don't know. I just don't know about the leadership of the Big 12 moving forward. But the Cougars are in the Big 12. you got to start somewhere. You just got to be happy with the result because, I mean, come on, Stephen. This is NCAA football or NCAA sports big wigs. This is what they do. They screw up or try to screw up just about everything they touch. Yeah, basically that's it. And, and look, it, it may not be the SEC, but it is the Big 12 and not the AAC. So it is a step up no matter how you slice it, certainly. So we said U of H beat Rice, pretty much dominating performance by the Cougs. It looked like they were just overpowering with the amount of talent and size and speed and stuff like that. But the Aggies, on the other hand, who, by the way, have the second longest winning streak in the nation behind only Alabama. Very quietly, this is going on. They had to pull out a nail biter, another nail biter, 10 to 7 over Colorado this weekend. They're not exactly scaring anybody with this offense, although cut them some slack since they lost Haynes King, their starting quarterback in the first quarter. Although backup QB Zach Calzada might need to show a lot more if King's injury is serious because King was in a walking boot on the sideline in street clothes. So we're going to see about that. Meanwhile, though, the Longhorns, on the other hand, uh, they couldn't pull it out, Stephen. They fell flat on their face Saturday. Well, I'll tell you what, Robert. Look, I was... When I first started following the Longhorns, it was in the early 70s when they were in the Southwest Conference, and I have not forgotten the rivalry that they've had with Arkansas that that dates back, you know, obviously way, way before then. I've also never forgotten just how rabid those fans in Fayetteville are. It is a tough place to play, and I honestly don't believe, Robert, in watching the game and, and just, you know, watching what a difference a week makes. Obviously, we were singing the Longhorns' praises for their play calling and for the way their defense played the week before against Louisiana. But I honestly think that one of the reasons that they fell so flat on their face was that they were not quite prepared for that Arkansas crowd. Those fans were rabid. I mean, they were after it. They were into it. And Arkansas was obviously into it. The The defense, they, I mean, Bijan Robinson had no answer for them. Neither did Hudson Card. The offensive line, I, I tell you what, if there's one thing you can point to, the Longhorns definitely need to shore up. Uh, yeah, they've been taking a, a page out of the Texans' playbook the last few years, Robert. The offensive line needs work. There was one play in the second quarter when Hudson Card went back to pass, and he got sacked on a three-man rush. 
you're outmanning these guys five to three and you let your quarterback get sacked. That is not a good sign. So yeah, not a good game at all by the Longhorns. Uh, they're going to, I certainly think they'll bounce back against Rice, but welcome to the SEC eventually UT, because this is what you're going to face. And Arkansas isn't Alabama. They're not Florida. They're not Georgia, at least when they're in conference play. They're way under 500. So, yeah, very disappointing game in Austin, completely different from the week before. And, Stephen, not only did they get schooled on the football field, they got schooled on Twitter this weekend because my tweet of the weekend goes to Bamani Jones. And this is kind of a setup because there was a sign at the game that you saw on television that said, uh, biggest traders. This is uh, obviously got to be some Razorback fans. Uh, number one, Benedict Arnold. I think it's Razorback fans, but I'm not sure. Number one, Benedict Arnold. Number two, Texas. And you have a Longhorn with the horns down. Uh, of, course. <laughs> of course. Of course. And then number three was Oklahoma. And so uh, there's a guy named, I don't know who this is, but there's a guy named Chris Hummer uh, that says this sign uh, y'all uh, going to be an interesting year of road games for Texas and OU. But the tweet really to me was the retweet of that by Houston's own Bamani Jones. And Bamani says, I got to say Benedict Arnold over Judas is quite the hot take. <laughs> <laughs> I love Bamani Jones. Love him. Uh, what a guy. Uh, yeah, that's a good tweet. I also saw one over the weekend. I, I think it was from burnt orange nation and I'm, I'm paraphrasing it here, but I think it said something like, is there any way we can rethink this whole SEC thing? Just asking for a friend. Uh, and that was from Burn Orange Nation, you know, which, of course, covers the Longhorns. So, yeah, Twitter, you know, Twitter was going nuts after all of this, uh, after one game. And look, you know, between now and 2025, a lot can happen. Nick Saban could be retired by then. Uh, you know, who knows what else would be happening? But certainly not the way you want to start out when you're hyping that the fact that your team is going to be in the SEC and then you have Oklahoma rolling, you know, obviously over a much lesser team, 76 to nothing. Yeah. doesn't look good for the Longhorns this weekend on any front. Now the Jacksonville Jaguars, not a good start to their season, but Jacksonville might've been excited and, and who said, who cares about this Jacksonville Jaguars thing? Because did, did you see what happened on Saturday, Stephen, with Jacksonville state? <laughs> yeah, I did see that. It's quite interesting. So, uh, yeah, you know, at least Jacksonville has something to celebrate. That's quite a way. I, I tell you what, these FCS teams, you know, the, so much for the cupcake schedules with these big guys, right? Because you're starting to see more of this. And Jacksonville State, one of the latest ones to do it. Yeah, if anybody missed it, this was incredible. On the last play of the game, Jacksonville State gets a it wasn't even a Hail Mary. It seemed like it was just, it was, it felt like it was just a regular long throw because they were playing regular coverage. Um, and I'm talking about Florida state here, Florida state's playing regular coverage and Jacksonville state completes a pass. And the guy makes a move defender misses him. Boom. He gets into the end zone and that's a ball game. That's a wrap. And, and they, they beat Florida state on that play. It was, it was unreal. And, you know, you, you watch the, I, I look for the radio plays to see what, what, what the radio sounded like on that one from the Jacksonville state guys. And I was frankly surprised that they weren't even, weren't going even more crazy after that one. It was, it was incredible. Yeah, it was incredible. I'll tell you what, these first few weeks, a couple of weeks of college football, uh, they've had some very interesting things. You know, I, I honestly, I knew UT would have its hands full with Arkansas, but I just, I didn't expect them to get blown out the way they did. 
You know, and then you have, of course, Ohio State losing to Oregon. You have Jacksonville State beating Florida State. So, I mean, there's been some weird things, and we're only two weeks into college football. So if that's what's you know, if that's what's going to be the case the rest of the season, Robert, bring it on. I'm ready for it. All right, let's move from college football because I, I got to mention one of the oh, – it's one of the best stories, one of my favorite stories in sports this year. And with everything else going on, and, and I don't know why the U.S. Open does this, but they inevitably go up against the NFL early in the season, and they go up against college football, and they had an – Unbelievable week this week because on Saturday, the U.S. Open featured the most improbable women's tennis final in history. 18-year-old Emma Raducanu, who was ranked 150th in the world coming into the U.S. Open and a 100-to-1 shot to win the U.S. Open, became the first ever qualifier, male or female, to reach the final of a Grand Slam tournament and, of course, to win it. She won it. Meanwhile, her opponent, 19-year-old Layla Fernandez, ranked 73rd in the world coming into this thing, was a 200-to-1 shot to win the Open. And in just her seventh major tournament, Layla beat the second, third, fifth, and 16th seed. She just electrified the crowd, Stephen. I was watching a couple of these matches this week. Her shot-making, her enthusiasm, she won four straight three-set matches going into the finals. <laughs> and meanwhile, you had Raducanu, who had never played a pro tournament, never played a top 100 player, all of that before this summer. I mean, this was everything you love about sports. Everything. It was all there. Yeah, it, it was all there, Robert. I mean, not just one, but both players in the final, you know, having their own separate stories. You know, the thing about Raducanu is, I think coming into Wimbledon, she was like 361st ranked and then she moves up to 150 and then does it from 150 i mean that's yeah that's incredible and of course with fernandez i i didn't see this robert but i heard she gave quite a, a september 11th tribute on saturday as well but you know and and i think she even had to come back in the semifinals when she was down and she fought back to win she didn't get it completely done on the final but hey the fact that they both made it a teen final yeah that looks really good for women's tennis right now Oh, yeah, just a total shot in the arm for women's tennis who needed a shot in the arm with Naomi Osaka getting beat in this one and talking about maybe taking a leave after not playing Wimbledon in the French Open because she's having her anxiety issues and, and other issues on the court. And then you've got Serena Williams, who's kind of disappearing after having the baby, and we're finally starting to see her downfall. Father time catches up to everybody. But there was even more to the story than this because, first of all, these two women represented the new world we're in right now, the international melting pot, so to speak, because her father's from Romania, her mother is from China. She was born in Canada, but at two years old, they moved to England. So all of that is going on with her. And then Layla, her mother's Filipino, her father's from Ecuador, but she was born and raised in Canada. In a way, they felt as American as baseball and apple pie, Stephen. Yeah, that's great. I, I mean, just so many great storylines for both of these. And, you know, their heritage just, uh, you know, adds to that. I, you know, women's tennis, they talk about a shot in the arm. They, they definitely need it, uh, certainly from the American side. I know we've talked about that a lot. But, man, you, you watch some of these other international stars, and it, it, they're pretty impressive. So if these two can, you know, can they keep it up? That's going to be the big question. They're the hot, you know, they're, they're the story now. 
but can they move forward? Because we've seen this before with some of these major Grand Slam tournaments. You think somebody's coming up, and yet you know they fall back, and you rarely hear from them, if ever again. Yet another unreal part of the story, Raducanu had retired from Wimbledon with an anxiety attack. So to come back from that just a few weeks ago, it's just amazing. And Stephen, that is so 2021. That fits right where we are right now in history. Yeah, it really does. Because we're hearing more and more about the mental health issues with athletes. And, I'm, you know, I've even done some stories on it with my work covering youth sports. Naomi Osaka, you know, we, we talk about a lot of the problems she's had lately. So the fact that, you know, I was able to come back and do that just a few weeks after Wimbledon, you know, that just says something about the courage that she has to be able to do that. So we and unfortunately, Robert, I think, you know, now that this is coming out more and more, we're going to hear more stories about this. And you just hope that these players can turn it around and that the institutions that support them will really step up and do something about this. That's, that's what really needs to happen. Absolutely. And and you mentioned the 9-11 tribute by Layla. And I, I've got to talk a little bit about that because Raducanu, uh, of course, she gets the trophy, but nobody, nobody have I seen in recent history, nobody's won the crowd, the New York City crowd, quite like Layla in the last couple of weeks. They interviewed her during the trophy presentation, and it looked like it was over. It looked like it was the last question, but she said, hold on, wait, I have one more thing to say. And then she said this. I know this, on this day, it was especially hard for New York and everyone around the, the United States. I just want to say that I hope I can be as strong and as resilient as New York has been the past 20 years. Thank you for cheering for me. I love you, New York, and hope to see you next year. Stephen, you talk about putting me in total tears. I mean, that was unbelievable. I mean, she knew the moment and she had the perfect stuff to say. She did, Robert. And I'll tell you what, it just, it, the New York is a tough crowd. <laughs> <laughs> but you can win them over. And but how could you not with you? Because you could tell how heartfelt it was. She'd obviously been thinking about it. Now, whether she had those exact words, you know, planned out, but she definitely had something planned out to say. But it it just it couldn't have been said better. You know, it's been 20 years since 9-11 and we've heard so many tributes. But the fact that it comes from someone who, you know, he, she wasn't even born at September 11th and how much it meant to her. Just, you know, the history of it all and what New York went through. That just, to me, that makes it even more powerful. Not only had she not been born, neither of them had been born September right. 11th. Exactly. Um, exactly. And, and the other part about that speech, you know, the, the beginning of it was what really caught me off guard and had me in tears. You know, her talking about just the fact that, you know, she wanted to be as resilient as not just New York, but she, she referenced, you know, the entire United States. Obviously, you just heard that. But also... The other thing that really you had to pay attention to in there is she said, thanks, New York, for having my back. And Stephen, I'm telling you right now, we know New York City for all of our lives. We've seen New York City, the people, you know, what it's about. 
And the fact that she said, thanks for having my back, there is not a phrase that New York City would love more than thanks for having my back. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I've been to New York, Robert. I've, I've been to Manhattan and I've you know, been to some parts of New York City a long, long time ago. Uh, but, you know, as, as much guff as New York takes, uh, you know, over the years, I have to tell you, when September 11th happened and the way people pulled together and, you know, supported New York and what they went through and just, uh, you know, everybody else that, of course, was affected by that terrible tragedy. So, yeah, just all the more powerful of what she said and how she said it. It, You know, it was just the way she said it, Robert, when the emotion that speaks as many volumes as the actual words that she said. Right. And and meanwhile, you know, in the other part of the bracket, um, it's it's got to be something that we're going to probably get into the next time you and I talk. But Novak Djokovic, we, we can't talk about it right now because the, the match is still going on. But he's trying to win the Grand Slam, the the biggest thing in tennis. He's trying to run the table here. Yeah, and I'll have to be honest. I'm not a Djokovic fan. I, I don't like the way he has behaved over the last couple of years in a couple of different situations. But it is a, quite an accomplishment. And if he can do it, <laughs> then, you know, that's certainly great. All the more to him, more power to him. Absolutely. But I, I just, I got to say again, I just, I want to go back to this Layla Fernandez one more time because, you know, I, I've watched a lot of stuff at the U.S. Open over the years. I'm a big tennis fan. People out there, you might not be as big a tennis fan as, as, as I am. And understandably, I know it's not, you know, one of the major sports here in the United States, but of all the runs that I've seen, the only thing that I could compare what she was doing over the last week, especially over that last week when she took out Osaka and all those ranked players and she was doing it in one three setter after another. And she was bringing the crowd into it and the emotion and everything that she gave you. I mean, uh, Radicanu, great story, but Layla was the, the person that you just were zoomed in on and drawn to. The only thing I can compare it to was when Jimmy Connors made his run. One of the most incredible things I've ever seen in sports ever you know, he couldn't get it all the way to the finals, but he was making one incredible comeback after another. And he was doing it close to the age of 40. And this is back in the day when 40 was like ancient, was like 100 years old in tennis, Stephen. <laughs> yeah, that's certainly true. And unfortunately, Robert, you know, sometimes some of the best stories are from people who they may not actually win the championship, but they win the hearts of the people. And, you know, that's pretty darn important, too. And as we said earlier, hopefully Fernandez can keep that momentum going and uh, keep winning hearts and, and even start winning championships. That'd be even better. Well, before I wrap it up, I, I just want to mention again that just it's, this is an incredible weekend for, for Houston sports. A lot of positive stuff in football, and we, we don't get that a lot. And it's worth noting again, the Texans win their opener. I, I, I'm going to ask you, Stephen, before we go, is any of this sustainable, do you think? Is any of what the Texans did against Jacksonville? I mean, Jacksonville was 1-15 last year. They were terrible. They were they got the first pick in the draft for a reason. That's why I think we have to be careful about getting too excited, Robert. But you know what? we got to enjoy this one while we can. The Cleveland Browns are next, and then you have the Panthers after that. So, you know, in another two weeks, we could be talking a totally different story. But for this one day, Robert, this one day, you know, mark this date down, September 12th, you can't take away the Texans win 37-21 over the Jaguars. They can't take that away from us. And I'll also mention to any of you out there that are Cougs fans, the, the, the alum, the people that have been through thick and thin over the years, what a fantastic year. What a fantastic weekend this was for you guys. 
Um, so happy for the Cougs. I'm not an alum, but I grew up in Houston. I've rooted for the Cougs since I was itty bitty. Love the Cougs. They're the team that had Houston on the, you know, on their jersey. So I am a Cougs fan through and through as much as I am a fan of my Missouri Tigers where I went to college. So really happy for everybody out there that's celebrating this weekend that the Cougs finally are in a power five. They finally have a chance at a national championship. They're in the conversation at least. As long as you get in those power five schools, you're in the tournament, so to speak. And and, and that is fantastic for them. Meanwhile, I'm going to wrap it up by reminding everybody that this show is brought to you by BetUS.com, America's favorite sports book. When you use it, use that code HST125 to redeem a 125% sign-up bonus on your initial $100 deposit. If you forget, just look for the promo code in the show description. It's there every single time for you. And to help out our podcast, sign up using either the BetUS link on our pinned Twitter post at the top of our page. Or just go to our website, HoustonSportsTalk.net. That's our main site. And click on BetUS on the right side of the page. Until next time, stay healthy and safe, everybody. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.